Hi, patrons. It's Rose. Um, as promised, I am here to share with you the audio from the talk I did at the Exploratorium in San Francisco last week. Um, this was a talk that included visuals, so there are going to be moments if you're just listening to the audio that don't really make any sense because they kind of require the visuals. I will put in the post for this um, a link to the slide deck so you can see the various slides. Um, and you can probably follow along uh, a little bit at least. I think it should be pretty clear what's happening. Um, and I hope you enjoy it. Um, this talk, I've never done this talk before. I had just finished it right before the uh, – did you hear that? That was my dog. She would like to say something. Would you like to say something, Moro? That was her nosing the microphone. You have to wait until I'm done with this. This is very important. The, the patrons are waiting for my very important content. <laughs> um, so yeah, so I did this at the Exploratorium. Um, I've never done this talk before. It was brand new. I finished it like an hour before the talk. Um, and I didn't really have an ending exactly planned out. And so the end of the talk, I don't think went super well, but um, well, you'll be able to hear, you'll be able to judge for yourself. Um, the audience was really interesting. They were all really nice, but nobody wanted to sit in the front. So the way the Exploratorium Auditorium looks is like there's a little sort of triangle of seats in the front, and then there's sort of an upper level of seats in the back. And there were everybody was sitting in the back, and there was like no one sitting in the front. So it was really awkward as a person performing that like there was no one in this little front seat. So I, you'll hear that I sort of make a joke about it at the beginning. Um what else? Um, before we get into it, just like, you know, people said they like to hear about process and background. Um, the very glamorous life of a podcaster means that um, my hard drive died this weekend. And so I spent a lot of time backing, getting backups and restoring from backups to make sure I didn't lose all of season five of Flash Forward. Um, so that was very fun, um, very glamorous, exciting behind the scenes information. Um what else? I'm working on the next season, the body season. I have four of the five episodes picked out. They should be really fun. Um, that launches May 14th. Um, between now and then, if there's anything else that I want to tell you about in these little bonus episodes. Oh, also, if you are a $10 patron and you have not yet received a goodie bag, never fear. They are going in the mail today or tomorrow. Um, I'm sorry it's taken me so long. They take a lot of work to put together and I put it off for a while because I wanted to try to do them all at once. So if you have not yet received your goodie bag, you should soon. It'll be in the mail. Yeah, today or tomorrow. So sorry that's taken so long. Um, I promise they're on their way to you. For now, I will leave you with the audio from the Exploratorium and another sort of secret per uh, suggestion by Casey. Um, this is something Allie Ward does on her show. Um, and so I will tell you another secret. Um, I just took a ceramics class. So I was really interested in I'm trying to like do more stuff that's not in front of a computer since I sit in front of a computer like all day, every day. Um, and I always really liked, as a kid, making stuff, uh, like artsy projects and stuff. So I took a ceramics class um, over the past, uh, like, nine weeks it was. And it was really fun. I'm not very good at it, but I learned a lot. It was really fun. I got to make stuff. And, um, you know, everyone else in the class – um, you know, came in hoping to make like beautiful mugs and they made these like lovely vases that had flowers and leaves on them. Um, and I made 
just weird stuff like a cup that's like got arms all coming out of it um, and another mug where you have to like hold hands with a skeleton hand to be able to drink out of it. And so I was like making my weird stuff on the first day, just like playing around with, you know, some ideas um, while, while everyone else was making like very beautiful. And this is not to say their stuff wasn't good. It was very beautiful. Um, in fact, much more beautiful than mine. And the instructor came over to my table and was like, oh, I see you have a very specific aesthetic, <laughs> which is her nice way of saying like, wow, you're a total weirdo. Um, but it's been really fun. The class just ended and I've been trying to figure out ways to keep doing it. I don't like have a studio or anything. Um, and there is a studio near my house, but it's totally full. There's a huge wait list to get in to be able to do ceramic stuff. So I bought a folding table off Craigslist and some unprimed canvas um, from the local art store. And I bought a couple of like tools and I bought a 25 bag pound of clay, which is the smallest bag of clay you can buy. Um, so I now have 25 pounds of clay and a rickety folding table to try and continue making stuff on. So if you want to see the stuff that I've been making, um, I post about it on my Instagram. Um, that's Rose Eveleth at Instagram. Um, and you can look at the weird, weird stuff I made at the, in this ceramics class and follow along in my ceramics journey, um, which has been really fun. And I actually, I, I'm joking, but I really, I've been really liking it. Um, okay. That is my secret. Um, I'm now a ceramics person. Um, I don't know if that's good or bad, but um, I will now send you to the Exploratorium. So we're, I'm going to send you back in time. You're flashing backwards instead of flashing forwards to Thursday of last week at the Exploratorium. The year was 2019, and this is what happened. Thank you. Thank you. I'm exclusively addressing these empty seats here. None of you all exist to me. Um, so I, as uh, Kathleen uh, very nicely said, I make a podcast called Flash Forward. Um, the podcast sort of combines fictional scenarios with sort of reporting to figure out what might happen in the future, how likely things are, how unlikely things are. Um, I've taken on topics like what happens when antibiotics stop working, um, what do we do, we don't get tattoos anymore because infection rates would be really high and we'd probably all die. Um, also things like what would happen if space pirates dragged a second moon to Earth and the Earth suddenly had two moons, um, which is something that uh, NASA actually thinks about because they are trying to design spacecraft to capture moon-sized objects to do asteroid mining, fun fact. Um, so today I'm going to talk to you a little bit about what it would take to lose the internet and what that would look like. Um, but first, we have some uh, happy birthdays to do to um, the Exploratorium. This is my favorite happy birthday gif. <laughs> Just really love like heavy metal unicorns. Um, and also to, the, uh, to ARPANET, which as Kathleen said, is um, the Advanced Research Projects Agency Network. Not the best acronym, but it's their birthday, so I won't say anything bad about it. Um, and uh, this is what ARPANET is. This probably clears everything up for you if you've never heard of it. Um, I'm sure this is very obvious uh, what this is. So um, how many of you remember these? Do any of you? Some people, yeah, yeah. Um, these are obviously telephone lines. Um, so for a long time, if you wanted to send information from one place to another, you had to go directly through a line, sort of an uninterrupted cable. And ARPANET basically, and I'm, I'm condensing this down into a very, very simplified explanation, um, was what's called a packing switch, packet switching network. So basically, you take information, you break it down, you put it into little packets, you send all those packets at once, and then you reassemble it on the other side. So um, here are the various bits uh, that each one would be. This is a very small piece of information, but you sort of break it into all these little columns, send them all, and then um, bring it back, uh, put it back together. So the first message ever sent via ARPANET was supposed to be the word login, but they only got the L and the O, and then the whole thing broke, and they had to shut it down and restart it. <laughs> um, but eventually, they got it to work. Um, and in 1969, this was the network. 
Um, this is the various places that they could send information between very, very slowly for, for our standards, but this is sort of a fundamental change in how you send information between two machines. Um, here's the network in 1970. Here's 1972, so it's getting bigger. And then I'm fast forwarding a lot. This is 2005. Um, this is sort of a schematic of all of the various ways that machines are connected via uh, a network like the internet. Um, and so the internet is something that you probably use every day, I would imagine. Um, it has brought us all sorts of fun stuff, like these various uh, images. Um, the, the internet has brought us things like um, being able to talk to people uh, over long distances. You probably keep track of all your friends' babies via the internet, maybe your kids' babies, maybe both. Um, you watch a variety of television shows that many of these are, are from. Um, but this is also something that the internet has brought us. Um, I find this extremely distressing, this image. <laughs> um, I don't know who lives like this, but um, maybe some of you do. Um, but so the internet has brought work into our lives, and there are actually a variety of studies that suggest that the fact that we can now fill our free time with this stuff in a way that we couldn't before, because we have it all, all the time, we have our emails all the time, has actually made quality of life vastly worse today than it was in the past. Um, in fact, in the 1930s, um, people thought that the biggest challenge facing mankind in our century right now was going to be that we didn't know what to do with all of our free time. Um, we thought that we were going to, this is um, the economist John Maynard Keynes, he predicted a 15-hour work week in the 21st century. Um, which would be now, and, and that's basically a five-day weekend. And I don't know if any of you have a five-day weekend, but I definitely do not have a five-day weekend. And there were all of these essays at the time really worrying very deeply about like what we were gonna do with all this time that we suddenly had. Um, and we don't really have that time. Um, there, uh, there's a great book called Pressed for Time, which actually goes through all of these studies and looks at the ways in which people feel more pressed for time now than they have ever before. Um, not because we have technically less free time, but because our free time is taken up by this, that we can interact with our work and our jobs all the time, and we do instead of deciding not to. Um, so have any of you ever just fantasized about like turning the internet off? Maybe, yes, a little bit. I see some people nodding. I think about this all the time. Um, and because my job and what I do is think about future scenarios and how they might actually play out, I spent some time a couple of years ago thinking really hard about what it would take to shut down the internet. And there are some very obvious ways you could shut down the internet, right? Nuclear war would do a very good job of shutting down the internet, um, as would an EMP, uh, an electromagnetic pulse, right? Um, so would a, a, a solar storm on the scale of a Carrington event. The Carrington event is from 1959 or 1850. 1859, um, it was a huge solar storm that hit the Earth. There was very limited electronics at the time, but all the electronic devices literally spewed fire because there was so much electromagnetic radiation coursing through the Earth. Um, there was a near miss on one of these in 2016, and um, the Defense Department actually did sort of a post-mortem about it and said that if it had hit Earth head-on, we would be plunged back into the Stone Age for about 1,000 years, um, just to keep you up at night. <laughs> just random events that could kill us all. Um, but all of these are not that interesting in, in the question of the internet, because if any of these things happen, we have like other things to worry about, aside from the internet going down. So I was trying to think of, like, is there a way that we could shut down the internet, or that we could lose the internet, that doesn't involve just like complete apocalypse? And I thought maybe the answer was no. And I called up a historian named Finn Brunton, and I asked him, you know, do you think there is a way for us to lose the internet without 
these sort of end of days scenarios? And I thought he would say no, and in fact, he said yes. This is what he said. And then there's the last scenario, which is in some ways the weirdest, but also the one that, to be totally honest, as a historian, I find the most believable, or at least kind of the most fun to think about. Um, and maybe this just reflects my own proclivities. But, um, but that is where, like, something deeply cognitively dangerous starts to take shape on the network. Um, some kind of comprehensive social madness. So what Finn is talking about is a future in which something starts to take hold on the internet that is really, really bad, or something that we're really, really scared of. Something evil, maybe something like white supremacy, Nazism, radicalization, uh, maybe some, some sort of platform that might be contributing to sort of um, mass shootings, um, things like this. Uh, this is a story from today, actually, in the New York Times that I just added. This is a map of all of the ways that the various shooters in these cases are connected online. So it's kind of hard to see because I had to take a screenshot. It's an interactive graphic. Um, and it's, uh, there are a variety of shooters that actually corresponded on the internet about their plans and who were inspired by each other. Um, here's a quote from that story. Um, the connections between the killers span continents and highlight how the internet and social media have facilitated the spread of white extremist ideology and violence. And in fact, and I was doing research for this talk about ARPANET, and I found this very lovely documentary about the origins of ARPANET. Um, interviewed a bunch of key people who were involved in uh, the creation of, of this technology, and I looked at the comments on YouTube, which I do not recommend. And this is one of the comments. It says, praise white people. Whites created and invented the internet. The blacks have done nothing except running around like a bunch of hoods. Horrible, horrible racism, right? Um, Maybe in retrospect, we will see all of those children uh, who are like utterly immersed in touchscreen devices were actually being primed for the arrival of a new religion, perhaps. Um, a new apocalyptic cult that spreads like wildfire through sort of human cognitive space and hops across language barriers. So Finn sort of says that it, it's possible that in this future that we're talking about, there is sort of some sort of panic that we decide like, this is not worth it at this point. The risks are too high. Too many people are dying. Something very scary is happening. And that might be a situation in which, like, you know, riding out of the distance to come save us come, like, you know, the technology relinquishers, you know, the Amish and the Mennonites and uh, the cranks and the refusenics and all the people who have, in one way or another, avoided this, who can, uh, who can begin going around and for, for the global social good, shutting the system down. So this is also known as a moral panic. Right, that like something happens and it seizes a bunch of people and they decide they have to act on it. So this is the Children's Crusade from 1212. I'm sure you're all familiar with it. Um, and this is when uh, thousands and thousands of children decided that they were going to go on a crusade and many of them died and all the parents and adults were sort of like, don't do this, like, please don't do this. And they did anyway um, because they were sort of seized by this idea that they had to do something. Um, the Salem Witch Trials is another example of a moral panic where lots of people obviously died, mostly women. Um, Reefer Madness is a moral panic. Um, for those of you who saw um, Fernando's really great talk on um, psychedelics and sort of the day after, the reason that we don't do those studies anymore, that we didn't do those studies for a long time, was because of the war on drugs, which is another similar moral panic where people freaked out about the drugs that were being done. And so all research on that kind of stuff stopped. Um, and there have been internet-related moral panics recently, if you're familiar with Momo. Um, how many of you know what this is? 
Yes, okay, good. <laughs> Not terrifying too many of you. So the Momo challenge is something that is a hoax that never really existed, but parents really believed that this um, people were going around with this image as their sort of avatar and telling kids to commit acts of violence, to commit suicide. And um, a lot of parents that sort of were taken up by this hoax advocated for things like shutting down the internet because they were like, this is too scary. Our kids are going to kill themselves. Um, and most of this comes from real fear, right? These moral panics always start with some kind of real seed of a real fear, right? That their, their children might be taken in by some of these really terrifying things that are happening on the internet. And we've actually made policy before based on moral panics about the internet. This is a incredible Time magazine cover. This is real. I did not make this up. Uh, this is from 1995. Um, and it's based on, it's a cover story. It's a feature article. It's based on a study that was done that claimed that 83.5% of the images stored on online message boards were pornographic. 83.5%. It's a really high number. Um, and this really sparked this huge outrage um, within the policymaking community saying, like, we have to do something because our kids are going to be exposed to cyber porn. Um, and actually, the entire full text of this article was entered into the record for the 1996 Communications Decency Act, which was passed in 1996. Um, it turns out, actually, that the, art, the sort of study that was done to find that 83.5% of, um, of, of images on uh, user, user, uh, sort of message boards were pornographic was not true. Um, it was done by an undergraduate engineering student named Marty Rim who actually had to change his name and sort of go it, like incognito for several years because he was so embarrassed by sort of this huge furor he had caused with his like undergraduate research paper that was like deeply flawed. Um, I know, it happens to the best of us. Um, I don't think he ever imagined that it was going to be entered into the record, the congressional record for this. Um, so the Communications Decency Act um, was passed because of a moral panic around cyber porn, right? And we have laws today that are currently being passed around moral panics um, surrounding sex work. FOSTA-SESTA, as some of you might know, was recently passed, and it's um, ostensibly supposed to stop sex trafficking. There's zero evidence that it will do any of that, and in fact, it's just making lives, the lives of people who do sex work much harder and much more dangerous. And the EFF is actually really worried that this law is going to actually cause a ton of censorship because it considers, it changes the way that governments consider places like Reddit, Craigslist, and Google as sort of, instead of just being sort of neutral platforms, it considers them publishers now. And so they can actually crack down on, on the information that they provide. Um, so all of that, I just said, is like real. Um, I didn't make any of it up. But what I do on my show is sort of blend fiction and fact. And so we're going to go into the future now um, and going to kind of extend this idea. What happens when, let's say, parents get really, really obsessed with the internet being a place that is really dangerous for their kids? Um, what happens if they start to um, generate organizations? Uh, this is just the Mothers Against Drunk Driving logo that I stole and put an internet logo on. Um, and and what happens when they start giving speeches? Um, this is actually, um, I changed two words of the speech you're about to hear. It is from Mothers Against Drunk Driving from the 80s, um, when the mother who started it, maybe it was in the early 90s, um, gave a talk or gave like a speech. I don't think you could possibly understand the anger and the rage I experienced when I found out that Carrie had been killed in the manner in which she had, and that this man had been influenced by yet another online community. Where does it end? If we don't do something, it won't ever end. There could be memes. I made this meme. It's not a very good meme, but I made it. It's mine. 
Um, all of these people, all of these shooters were connected online in some way or another. Um, so you could imagine that perhaps in 2046 there is the Electronic Danger Containment Act. Uh, here is some footage from 2046 that I definitely shot from C-SPAN, and here is a speech that you might hear in 2046. Mr. Speaker, I am incredibly pleased to present what we in committee believe to be a solution to the rising problem of radicalization and resulting violence stemming from online communities. There are some dangerous places, Mr. President, on the information superhighway. Let us think about it this way. Imagine there was a road in your town that was incredibly dangerous. So dangerous that 20% of people who ever drove down that road were subsumed by lava. We would close that road, wouldn't we? Even if the road happens to have some of the most scenic views of the city, it's simply not worth the risk. We would have a civic and moral duty to close that road, to make it completely inaccessible. And this is our situation now. Experts estimate that 20% of people who use the internet, who drive down that road, are injured by it in some way. They come out the other side full of conspiracy theories, sexism, racism, Islamophobia, violent rhetoric, depression, and worse. We must close this road for the good of our country. Also worth keeping in mind that often lawmakers don't necessarily understand the technologies that they are legislating about. So this is real. I didn't make this up. Um, I don't know if any of you remember this. Um, there, was, there were some hearings uh, with the Google CEO, and a couple of Congress uh, people asked a lot of questions about their iPhones, um, which Google, again, does not make. Um, so this idea that the Congress might be legislating above maybe their understanding of, of what something is and how it works and whether it's actually feasible to shut down the internet is not implausible. And then you might have conversations among parents. So um, I recently did a bunch of reporting about um, facial recognition being used in schools. Um, and there are a bunch of schools now that are installing facial recognition systems um, on campus, including one in upstate New York in a town called Lockport. And the argument there for doing this is that, you know, obviously they say, this is sort of what the parents say, they say, you know, we know that the United States is not going to do anything about the access people have to guns. So we have to do something, and that something is facial recognition, apparently, um, to kind of keep our kids safe, right? This, this sort of rhetoric of keeping the kids safe is, is really important. So you might have conversations at home that go something like this. Have you heard about this internet shutdown bill? Yeah, well, sort of. I read a headline about it. I do worry about our kid getting into trouble online. I think I might be for it. How would you do your job? Well, everybody would be in the same boat, right? We, we'd figure it out together. If it means being safer. I just feel like there must be a better solution than just turning the whole thing off. I don't know. Whatever else we're doing isn't working. If this means it's less likely for Claire to get shot at school, so this is the sort of like false dichotomy, right, that people often present during conversations about technology. Um, and I know we, you know, we all like to think that we're above moral panics, that like we're all, we're all smart people. We're at a science museum, right? Like we're, we're like logical, we will not be caught up in this. And that is proven over and over again through history to be false. Um, Alexander Graham Bell invented the telephone because he thought he could call his dead brother. So like we are full, all of us are susceptible to this kind of thing. I didn't make that up, that's real. Um, he did. The first call he made was he was trying to listen in on the dead. Um, like there's, there's many different ways in which this could play out, but I, I'm a deep believer in the idea that 
we as humans are far more filled with latent psychopathology than we necessarily realize. Um, and internet shutdowns are commonplace right now, um, at least in the context of internet shutdowns on social media, email, being able to kind of public facing internet shutdowns. Um, so here's a, a map, um, this is from last year, of all of the documented shutdowns from the past couple of years. Um, it's 371 different countries, um, actually largely in, in Asia, but the most famous ones are probably Chad and Zimbabwe right now because they are sort of being um, implemented by folks who, sort of dictators, who don't want people talking about their elections. Um, and so when we think about like what would it look like, what would the world look like if we didn't have the internet anymore, if we decided collectively that like this isn't worth it, let's just nix the whole thing, I think often it's hard to imagine. So Clay Shirky um, has this quote where he says, imagining today's, imagining today minus the net is as content, well, reading is as content-free as exer an exercise as imagining London in the 1840s with no steam power, New York in the 1930s with no elevators, or LA in the 1970s with no cars. After a while, the trellis so shapes the vine that you can't separate the two. So historians would say that's not true. You can absolutely separate things. Um, and in fact, I think that you know, if we just think about public-facing internet, if we're not talking about shutting completely the internet down, which would impact shipping, you wouldn't be able to get any of your fruits and vegetables from one place to another. Um, all of your finance at this point is connected via internet networks. So if you truly shut down the internet, it would be a chaos scenario. It would be a situation where the economy completely collapses um, and, and sort of you, there's no way to distribute food. You know, food will be rotting in a storage facility here and there because you know, all of our um, container ships are sort of arranged via various networks. Um, but if you just think about sort of the public-facing internet, things like social media, email, um, all of that, if everybody loses it, um, I actually think it's totally imaginable. I'm not, sorry, I'm not advocating for any of these things, I just want to be very clear. Um, I'm just trying to walk you through what that scenario would look like. Um, the downside, of course, is that the people who would probably be hurt most by this are the people who are isolated and rely on the internet to find community, right? So, you know, LGBT youth, um, people who have really rare diseases who find each other online. There are a lot of upsides, obviously, um, to the internet. Um, and so this isn't to say that there aren't scary and bad things online. Um, obviously, uh, we've gone over a bunch of them. But um, probably uh, this is not the solution to our problems with the internet, um, this being the Salem Witch Trial. Um, and that's all I have for you. <laughs> Um, so my show is called Flash Forward. If you like this weird thing that I just yelled at you, um, you can listen to my show all the time. Um, and I will happily take questions at this point. Excellent. <laughs> I think it's because we're digesting. I talk too fast, I know, I'm sorry. Just blown away. It's no. fine. It's fine. I get this all the time. 